Good morning, Southfield. You know, this morning as I open up the YouVersion app, the verse of the day comes from 1 Peter 1, and I, I just want to read this for you real quick. It's 1 Peter 1, 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead, and now we get to live with great expectation. Let's stand and worship the God who helps us to live with this great expectation. this morning from wherever we are, wherever our heart is, whatever the state of our soul, and to walk in and walk right up to your altar and to know you are present and to know that no matter what has happened, no matter what we've done, you look down us with just gracious love, gracious love. We thank you for that loving gaze today. For the grace that is greater than our sin, for that gift of God, eternal life, found in Jesus Christ our Lord. We look forward to a day that we will not come into a room like this and think about you off in heaven, but we will be with you and see you and love you and know you. We know that privilege can be known. It is real. We can know that we have eternal life. And I pray that if we don't, we'd know it before we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. These guys are going to kind of move out of, the, out of the space. We've been trying some different things, trying to get the team a little up closer to you. They have commented, y'all, your singing lately has been like, it's, it's beautiful. You're doing, you're doing a great, great job. So I'm Dennis. You're at Southfield. Glad you're here today. Uh, we're offering a special service today to Cub fans. We realize that you are just feeling down, dejected, and disheartened. You're, you're searching for meaning and purpose in your life. It can be found here. So we'll talk about eternal things instead of things that end in September. So anyway... Oh my goodness! It's yeah, it's it's been, it's been rough and brutal. We also have uh, some fun this morning. Ray and Alice Caps are here from Tennessee. Good to welcome them back. And and Vivian Van X making her first visit back from college. Just take a look at her today. She looks so much smarter. And I mean, she always looks smart. How can you look smarter than Vivian looks? So anyway, uh, good to be able to do that. Be able to be together as well. So I, I'm just going to pick up on where we were last week. Last week we were talking about how you know for sure, do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Do you know for sure that you will spend eternity with God in heaven? And we sat down last week and actually wrote out the answers to two questions. Do you know you'll be with God in heaven? Yes, no, whatever your answer was. And then what's the basis for that? What's the reason that you're going to give to God? That, that idea was inspired by, by my friend, Dave Morey. We were talking one day at breakfast, and he said, you've got to go ahead and just have people write out the answers to these questions. It's not enough to, to just think it in our heads. Let's write it out. Let's see it on paper. Yesterday morning, 
I drove over to Dixon uh, to be at the funeral of Dave's dad, 94 years old, home with Jesus. And um, there's something about funerals for me as a pastor that I find more meaningful than ever. I can't say that I like funerals. Nobody likes death, right? Nobody likes the pain of that. But it is perhaps one of the few times in the secular American experience that we come face to face with what's really, really, really real. You think your car is real. It is not. You think your job is real. That's not why you exist. You think all these things, that's what real is. And then we sit at a funeral and we look and we think, someday, that's me. That's me. Someday, they're going to be doing this for me, and I won't be here anymore. Dave offered this beautiful eulogy for his dad. He said it would be 10 minutes. He was given 10 minutes. He went a little longer than that. But it was beautiful, telling stories of his childhood, and then ultimately wove it back to a gospel presentation. And there was a line in there. I asked him if I could use it. There's no royalty, so this is for free. The latest statistics are death are in. It's one per person. We're all going to die. Now, maybe that's where you are as a Cub fan today, right? You're feeling the morbidity of that statement. But, but nonetheless, every one of us will die, then what? And the pastor read this passage that I've heard at so many funerals and so many times. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we hear those verses and we hear them from our secularist American perspective and we think, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. That, that's pretty exclusive, really? And, and, you, and you may even look at that and go, as a pastor, how can you even say that? Hey, I, I'm just quoting the source. I, I'm just quoting the guy who knows because Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus knows the way to God. And, and if anything, he's doing you a fantastic favor. He didn't leave you to, to grope in darkness wondering how to get to God. He said, pretty simple right here. It's me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have a friend in St. Louis. His name is Paul. We went to this little church in St. Louis starting out. 30 people on a really good Sunday. I mean, if two people were missing, you know, you're down to 28. Here we go. You're just like hoping all 30 show up. And just prior to arriving at that church, Paul and Tina Wesley randomly one day walked into this church. We know it's not random. It was the Spirit of God. They've been Catholic all their life, and they're just, they're, they're, they're like, something in my life is not there. It's missing. It's not right. And they walk into this dinky little nothing church on Telegraph Road in South County, and in no time at all, they're hearing the gospel, and both of them say, I'm ready. I choose Jesus, my forgiver, and my leader, and my friend. And just before we arrived, they got baptized. So I walk into this church, and it, it was kind of a tough place. You know, small, how do you do something that's exciting? And we just got to kind of figure this out. And one of the things I realized early on, the best thing that I could do was just meet with some people one-on-one -on -one and grow them up in their faith. And so I started meeting with Paul one-on-one, -on -one, and we're just going through the basics of the faith. It was kind of fun back then because uh, Paul still didn't know that you don't like, you know, 
F-bomb in front of the pastor and stuff like that. And so, uh, or God for that matter. But anyway, he's just being real kind of fun and loose and whatever. And we're like, okay, we're going to, we'll put that down as a lesson. Here we go. We're kind of, we're working through these things, right? And, and we come to one day that we're just talking about salvation and what it is. And, and we read this verse together. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And I didn't know Paul well then, but I know a look of anger. And I looked at him, and his eyes were angry. And as he started to talk, his voice was angry. And he said, why did they lie to me? Why didn't they tell me the truth? All my life I've been told I can only know after it's all done that I'll be in heaven. And there it is in black and white in the Bible. These things are written so you can know, not think, not hope, not fingers crossed. You can know that you have eternal life. You see what we're talking about today, whether it's John 14, 6 or 1 John 5, 13, or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. These aren't just great inventions of Dennis. All Dennis is today is the guy saying, this is what God says. This is what God says. This is his word. This is what he says. He says you can know you have eternal life. He says you can know it because of your relationship with Jesus. He says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God not as a result of works, so no one can brag about it. And so we see that salvation is offered to all of us by grace. That's what God gives us. Without his grace, we wouldn't even want it. Unmerited favor, totally undeserved. He, he extends the gift to us by grace. Here it is. Take it if you want it. And so many say what? No thanks. Hey, guess what? That's your choice. Don't blame God. When you don't choose to receive the gift. By grace, you've been saved. And then it says, through faith. Now that faith, that's our part. We bring faith to the table. We're the ones that have faith in Jesus. We're the ones that have the faith that brings that gift to us, that gives us salvation. But you see, as I, as I start to unfold that, I have to ask this question. What kind of faith saves This faith we're talking about. How do I know I have faith? And how do I know that it is a faith that is going to bring me into relationship with God? You see, I know people who say, I prayed a prayer. I I quoted the words. I did it. I prayed the prayer. I quoted the words. And then I look at their life and I go, wow, it doesn't look anything like Jesus. Not an ounce. Can we really just quote a fire insurance prayer and know we're in and then continue the way we want? What kind of faith saves? And what I love is there's a, there's a letter in the Bible by a guy named James, and he says there's a kind of faith that saves, and it's a faith that works. It's a faith that works. And so we're going to settle down here for part of fall, and we're just going to rip into this, this letter, this epistle a little bit. That's what an epistle is. It's a letter to a person or to a group. We're going to spend some time here. Now, now admittedly, this is a pretty familiar book. A lot of us, we love, this is kind of a go-to book. 
So it's not like we're leaping through Leviticus and, and finding all these, woo, what's that? And ooh, gold thing and all that stuff. This is, this is, there's some common stuff here, but we need to see it from an important perspective because what James is trying to spell out is this is what faith that works looks like. And it gives us a chance to look at our own lives and ask the question, do I have a faith that works? James, who is this guy? Who is it? I mean, it's nice to know who wrote the book, right? One thing we know is he's the half-brother of Jesus. Matthew 13, 55 says, is this not the carpenter's son? So they're referring to Jesus. Is this not the mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? I know some of you are brought up to believe that Jesus had no brothers or sisters. Again, it's in the Bible. That's what we go to. It's in the Bible. Uh, Judas, by the way, is not Iscaris the betrayer. This is just a guy who's ultimately named Jude. And in fact, Jude wrote an epistle in the Bible all the way toward the end. And how does he begin? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So he acknowledges, James is my brother. And, and he, he can't bring himself to say, and Jesus is my brother. He's, he's acknowledging his rightful stance before God. I am your servant. Paul emphasizes this as well. He says, I saw none of the other apostles when I went to Jerusalem except James, the Lord's brother. So Paul affirms James is the brother of the Lord. Now in that, what we learn is not only that he's the half-brother of Jesus, but he's also a church leader. He's one of the apostles. Remember, not, there were 12 disciples, and the disciples become apostles, but then there are other apostles who lead the church, and James is one of them. In fact, in Acts 15, we find that Paul and Peter come to talk to the, to the church in Jerusalem, the home church, and say, we got to figure out what to do about this Gentile thing. Are they in? Are they not? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they not need to be circumcised? And they present their case. And it is James from among the group. It is James who stands up and speaks. Brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a, as a people for his own name. And then a little further down, he says, therefore, my judgment, this is the guy making the decision, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So he's an le early leader of the church. Other facts, his nickname is James the Just. He didn't follow Jesus when he was alive. Do you all maybe have a sibling that you look at and go, what a kook. And everybody else is saying they're brilliant. <laughs> you know? Everybody else thinks they're like a rocket surgeon. You're like, they're just nuts. This is Jesus and his brothers, right? His brothers are going, this guy's a loon. And the world's going, he is the Savior. Oh, then there's this death, this burial, this resurrection. And James goes, uh-huh, yes. He does know what he's talking about. So after he's alive, he does follow Jesus. He becomes a significant leader in the church. He never leaves Jerusalem. He's one of the, he's one of the homebody apostles. He's not running all over Asia, spreading the gospel. He just stays there. He's there at the home church. He's referred to by Paul as an apostle. We saw that. He's martyred in 62 AD, which is pretty early on. And he wrote to what were called dispersed Jews. So there were people who were Jewish who had scattered out, scattered out from Israel to the ends of the earth at that time. And so he's writing to them to inform them about their faith. That's important to know because some of the examples he's going to use and whatever, he doesn't have to give a lot of background because like he's writing to Jewish people who already know the story. I love his style. He's practical. I think this is why we run here. 
Not a lot of people run to Romans for comfort, right? But you go to James and you're like, oh man, I can pretty much flip James open anywhere in those five chapters and find something to take with me today. He's just, he's that guy. He's a pastor. He addresses real life issues, not this theoretical out there stuff. He's just like, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's not a typical epistle. In a sense, as you read it, it's more like a a collection of wisdom statements. You're just getting a a bunch of different wisdom statements brought together. His style is an ancient form of, uh, of Greek literature called a diatribe. Now, you think diatribe, you think of somebody ranting at you. It's not a rant. It just uses different tools to get the point across. So one of the things he'll use is kind of this, this theoretical argument between two people. You say this. You say this. That's part of his style that he uses. He makes heavy use of imperatives. Lots of commands. 108 verses total in the book, 50 of them are imperatives. Think about that. That's a lot of you need to do this. I think it's part of the reason we love this book. It tells it, doesn't leave us to wonder. You know what you got to do. Here's the list. Let's get at it, right? The other thing you're going to find in the book that's really interesting is that he makes heavy use of the Sermon on the Mount. You can tell that he may not have been following Jesus, but he was listening. He was listening. He was taking it in, and he brought that over. So what I want to do is not start at James 1.1 and just start plotting through. I want to get to the core of the book because the core of the book informs the whole thing. The core of the book tells us what it's all about to have a faith that works, and the rest of the book is examples of a working faith. So we're just going to go ahead and head to the core. James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, this is really important because there are some translations that just say, can faith save him? And that would not be accurate. That would not be an accurate rendering of what is written by, by James at all. He's not just referring to faith in general. He's referring to a certain kind of faith. What kind of faith? The faith in the first question. Can someone say they have faith, but a faith that doesn't result in anything, a faith that doesn't do anything, a faith that is not life-changing, can that kind of faith save a person? What he's talking about in a sense, I believe, is a theoretical faith. A a knowledge-based faith. A faith that knows the facts. A faith that can quote the creeds. A faith that has all the you-know-your-stuff. But it hasn't had an ounce of impact on the person's life. So, can you hand me that chair? Yeah, I'll take that one. Thanks. Hopefully nobody needs it. So, What we could do today is build a theological, metaphysical, uh, you know, existential, all the other ills definition of a chair. You could define a chair to death. I mean, you could could write us a a 55-page essay on the definition of a chair. You know what happened today as y'all walked in? You express that you have faith in chairs. Nobody walked up and went, I don't know. Need to look up my definition to see if this one's going to work. Now, 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 sometimes they break. I get that. But, but by and large, here's what you did. 
You said, I believe this chair will work. This is the difference between the faith that doesn't work and the faith that works. The faith that doesn't work has it all well-defined, but the faith that doesn't work never, ever, ever just says, I trust Jesus. I believe him. Not I know about him, but I know him. I know him. I believe him. I trust him. I have faith in him. That's the kind of faith that saves. Not a faith that says, here are the ten facts. That's good enough. But I believe. I trust. I know. I know. So he starts giving examples. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food. Now, by brother or sister, he's not talking about somebody you saw on a corner as you were driving away from the mall. He's talking about someone at church. He's talking about a fellow Christ follower. And, and mind you, at church, they didn't come to a room full of, you know, 100 people. They came to a house with another 14. They knew everybody. There were no name tags, you know? They kn- you, so you see this brother or sister, they're poorly clothed, lacking in daily food. And one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and fed. They pronounce a nice little benediction over the person. They give a nice little blessing. Hey, hope it all works out. See ya, see ya, see ya, see ya, see ya. What good is it? What good is that? What good is that? He's saying the, the, the desire for blessing has to come with the willingness to bless. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Here's him in this, you know, the diatribe. He's got two, two theoretical people. He's not talking about himself. Two theoretical people arguing. You say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by what I've done. He said, you're going to tell me about the chair. I'm just going to do this. See? Do you see the difference? It's different to actually trust as opposed to just know the facts and assent to the facts. In fact, he says, you believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons can define the chair. They can define the chair beautifully. They've never taken a seat and they never will. They just refuse do you want to be shown, you foolish person? He's saying, oh my goodness, you are so empty-minded on this. He's pretty direct, okay? That faith apart from works is useless. Now what he does then is goes and gives us two examples from Jewish history. Remember, this is written to dispersed Jews, so they don't need a lot of background on this. They know who Abraham is, and they know that Abraham was justified by faith. And he says, how do we know that he had real faith? Because when God said sacrifice his son, he didn't go, now that's interesting. I need to study that. I wonder if there's a concordance available that I can learn more. He said, okay, God, and raised the knife. This is, this is working faith. This is not working faith. Knowing all the facts is not working faith. This is working faith. 
This is a faith that trusts God enough to say, I believe you can raise him from the dead if that's your desire. I believe in you. I absolutely believe you. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture is fulfilled saying, Abraham believed God, and it was counted as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now you got to read that right, okay? What's he talking about? He's saying, you're justified by a faith that works. You're justified by a faith that moves beyond mental assent and trusts. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute. He's going to another Jewish hero, and you go, a prostitute, a hero? Absolutely. This woman, when they come into Jericho and they're about to take the city, she's the one that hides the spies. She's the one that puts the cord from the tower. She's the one that's saved. And in the book of Matthew, you will find her name in the lineage of Jesus when you read this December. She's a hero. So she's justified by her works. Or in other words, her faith was proven true when she received the messages and sent them out another way. And then he says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. And so you have these two real strong words, verses. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It is these two verses that cause this guy to say James doesn't belong in the Bible. By the way, this is Martin Luther. I took the picture when we were together. So anyway, <clears throat> Martin Luther said, this is nuts. He was afraid that this was teaching a works theology. He was, saying, he was afraid that this was teaching a works salvation. And remember what's going on at that time. Selling of indulgences, all these things. Pay a little bit, you get a free ride to heaven. Oh, it's not free, actually. Here, write a check. And so he's afraid that this is going to be interpreted as more works. He wasn't understanding fully what James was saying. James wasn't saying, you have faith, I have works. James was saying, you say you have faith, and it's all in your head. I have faith, and I'll show you. I'll show you what it looks like. You're going to see it by the way I live, by what's happened in my life. What kind of faith justifies? What kind of faith saves? You see, for a lot of us, this is what we were taught all of our lives. The good things we do, all of our works, we're just stacking them as we go through life. Boom, 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 stack, 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 pile them up. Whoops, lost three, did bad today. Up, down, probably several works lost this week, cursing at Cubs, things like that. Up, down, up, down, up, down, right? And when you get to heaven, God puts it all on the big old scale. There's a drum roll. How's this going to work? Boom, ding, yay, we have a winner. Enter, let him in, Peter. And so good things we do result in faith. Ultimately, we get faith because of all the good stuff we did. Works result in faith. I promise you, some of you come from a background that taught that. But what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. A body apart from the Spirit is dead, so faith also apart from works is dead. Here's what James is saying. If you have faith, something flows from your faith. If you have faith, it results in the good things we do. It's a faith that works. It's a faith that's fruitful. And so when you have that faith in God, guess what? Life change is present. 
You start to look at your life and you go, who I was is not who I am. The Apostle Paul can say, that's who I was. I'm not that anymore. We start to see differences and changes because we didn't just assent to who Jesus is. We trusted in who Jesus is. We believed in who Jesus is. And because of that, we have a, we have a faith that results in life change. Put the two together. You see the difference. Life is not about working hard to ultimately hope you get in. Life is about faith, trust, belief in what Jesus did now to pay for our sins so that we can have a life not just in heaven, but we can have a life here on earth that results in change. It is unimaginable to James and unimaginable to Jesus that a person would have fruitless faith. It is unimaginable that what a person would say they believe this about Jesus, but it would not result, that faith would not result in change. You have James again. You say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by what I do. I'm going to show you my actions. Here's the core of what James is saying. Genuine saving faith always necessarily by its very nature results in fruit. If you have faith, you will change. You will change. You will see the power of God within you to help you to change here and now. Fruitless faith doesn't save. A mere assent to the facts doesn't get it done. There is a trust that results in you being a changed person, a new creation, living a new way in the, faith, in, the, in the power of Jesus. And so here's the question we all need to ask, right? Is my faith fruitful? Look at your faith. Are you seeing fruit as the result of what you claim to be faith? Are you just walking around defining Christianity all the time? Or are people looking going, that's what it looks like. I see it. Jesus has some things to say about this. He's talking to Pharisees, people who really had it all here. And boom, big empty right here. Nothing going on here, okay? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, that's a way to win a crowd, you warned, you, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, you repent, something happens, fruit results. He talks about false prophets. He says, beware of them. They come in sheep's clothing, but inward they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, a, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. He says in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then we have Jesus speaking in that Olivet Discourse, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I think part of what James encourages us to do is to become fruit inspectors. He wants us to become fruit inspectors. And some of you are already a little giddy. You're like, <laughs> good, I got a list. I got to go check out some trees. No, no, no. Fruit inspecting is not a spectator sport. It is a sacred spiritual practice. Every one of us need to sit down with our faith and ask, what do I see? Have I been living a life that has Christianity beautifully, theologically defined? Or am I a devoted Christ follower and people see the definition of Christianity in me? Now please, it's not perfection. We will all continue to sin and make mistakes and blow it here. But even in that, the, the, the changed heart repents. The changed heart makes it right. The changed heart knows what it's done wrong and turns, turns back to God. And so for all of us, we need moments of honest reflection. Some of us are great at reflecting. We're just not great at honest, right? Uh, we, we reflect a lot, but we don't have a clue who we really are. We need honest reflection. What is that fruit? Do I see change in me? Do I look different than I did? Paul was able to say, hey, I used to put people in prison. I don't do that no more, right? He was able to look and say, that's who I was. This is who I am. There's a change. Life changes happen. There needs to be healthy introspection. This is the opposite, okay? Some people will be great at reflection, but it's not honest. Others will go so deep into introspection that it's neurotic. I mean, they'll just look at everything they've ever done wrong, and oh my goodness, this is the, I, I'm the worst. I'm never leaving my house again. No, healthy introspection. To be able to look and say, what's been going on in me? think for every one of us, one of the great areas of testing is our testing of motive. Why am I doing what am I doing? Am I doing this to show off or am I doing this as a genuine outgrowth of the faith that I have? It is the psalmist who says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievous ways in me. Lead me in the way, of everla way everlasting. Every once in a while, just say, God, show me. Show me my motive. There needs to be a testing of moment. We need spiritual growth check-ins. Times that we stop, not daily, I'm not saying you shouldn't check in daily, but checking in on progress daily is like weighing yourself every hour, right? I do that. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, weigh yourself weekly, weigh yourself every two weekly, you start to see change or not. But, but when we do it too often, we miss it. You need to have maybe once a year, New Year's, your birthday, your spiritual birthday, that you check in and say, where am I compared to a year ago? Where am I compared to my spiritual birthday? Where's the growth? What's taking place? What needs to change? And then not set up a, a program for change, but say, God, by the faith you've given me, by the trust I have in you, convict me, challenge me, change me. And there will be times that we actually invite accountability. We say to someone, I need help with this. And it's good to get help. Don't flounder alone. Get help. It's good to get help. Jesus said, you did not choose me. 
but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last. This is the test of true faith. Is there faith? Is there fruit? Is there fruit that it's lasting? What does fruitful faith look like? Well, that's what the other five chapters are about. I mean, he's just going to go through and give us all kinds of examples and say basically, this is what a Christ follower does, and this is what a theologically informed pagan does. So, which are you going to be? Are you going to be theologically informed, or are you actually going to follow Jesus? And so, God in heaven, we just we expose ourselves to you today. We ask you the question, what kind of faith do I have? Is it a faith that's all in my head? Is it a faith that, that can quote a creed, that can, that can get all the facts of theology perfect, but that lives like the dark side? Or is it a faith that flows by its very nature with fruit? Fruit that abides. The fruit that you appointed for us. The fruit that is lasting. Let us not be deceived into believing that because we are members of Club Southfield, because we knew the facts, that we knew the Lord. God, I pray today that we would move beyond knowing about Jesus to truly knowing Jesus, to loving Jesus, and trusting Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Brian's going to come up right now. Here, thank you so much. You did well. Collect your check after. Um, <laughs> our servers are going to come in just a moment and receive the offering. And so um, I just really can't believe you're doing that to people today. You are just a, a dread evil boy. Anyway, uh, what are we going to do? How are you? Doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Good. I promised I'm not going to say anything, so I'm not. Okay, good. So... Um, <laughs> You got, you got a dodgeball donut. Do yeah, this Wednesday at Refuge is going to be a riot. It's our donuts and dodgeball event uh, where we're going to be playing a lot of different dodgeball games and eating as many donuts as we possibly can before we explode. So if you have a junior hire, bring them out. If you want uh, to drop off some donuts, it doesn't matter what kind, we're looking for as many as we can because uh, there's, there's going to be some ridiculous things happening that night. I'm really excited. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's this Wednesday at our normal time from 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, tonight, Revive is normal time, 6 to 8. Uh, we've got a pretty cool uh, message. We've been working through a series called How to Be a Quitter and giving up um, some, some bad habits in our life. And, and today is all about um, giving up being fearful mm. uh, and what that looks like in our lives. So. Again, Boy, we just live there week. these days, don't yeah. we? Living yeah. constant fear of everything. Yeah. I, I saw that you were doing that, and I'm like, yeah, we all need that one. Yeah. That, that's just, that is beautiful. So uh, be reminded of there are a few ways to keep informed of what's going on around here. We've, we've been talking to you about that app that we have, and there's a spot on the website that says our app. You click that, and you can get that downloaded. You can keep up on, on giving groups and events. All, the, all of that is right there. The other thing we're trying to take advantage of a lot more right now is, is just Instagramming stuff, okay? So we have a pretty simple, it's there on the bottom of your program today. Uh, look up Southfield Church, you'll find our pictures. And we're moving beyond pictures to actually uh, trying to get out there information about what's happening. I don't know about you, 
I love pictures. Pictures kind of, words are nice, but visualizing something is really helpful. So you may want to go ahead and get on that because we've actually been advertising some of the things we're doing through that. And so I don't know if you noticed, but we've got a, a Christmas program coming in December. Yeah, really cool. On December 15th, we're having our first Southfield uh, Christmas program, which would be a great birthday gift for Don Yost, right? December 15th. So yeah, that's Woo-hoo. why we're doing it, right? No. Um, it will no. be happy birthday, Jesus. Sorry, Don. <laughs> no, uh, but those, it's for kids ages 4 to 13, and we're looking at um, auditioning kids in different roles, so it's, I'm really excited. It's going to be really fun. So if you go to that link on the links today about the family Christmas program, you'll find ways that you can get involved serving, you'll find ways to get auditioning, all that stuff is right there. So make sure you, you go ahead and take a peek at that. I think that's about it, right? Let me just say one more thing. So this crowd, you're going to leave and head home. And we, we've, been, we've got some people that want, desperately want to get baptized, and they want to get baptized in the river. And the river this summer has just been fun, right? It's never completely gone down. It's been all over. And, and so we had really hoped today to do these baptisms. We were on, right? And then God says, here's four inches of water. Boom. Uh, the last river check, it's still not dangerously high. And Mike Miller is a lifeguard. And so three people are getting baptized after the second service at noon. Okay? Adam and Heather Gear and Jim Drish are getting baptized at noon. If you want to come back for that, noon o'clock, four rivers. You come driving on into the place. It's the first parking lot to the left. And you see the river, all right? Uh, we're going to do this. I would say come heck or high water, but we have high water. We don't need the other, okay? So uh, anyway, uh, come back for that. It's going to be beautiful if you can, all right? Great, thanks. So we're going to move to communion right now. And um, we're going to do this a little differently in that we're going to listen to a song that This song we normally sing with a lot of energy, and we're instead going to take it for a moment of reflection as we're moving to the two tables to the back and to the two to the side or the gluten-free options on the stage. told you about my friend Paul. So when we were at that church in St. Louis, I got to admit to you, a lot of times I looked at my job as a pastor and I was like, fruit, what a joke. What are we doing here? I mean, we tried and tried and tried. We tried harder than you can imagine. And the result was just kind of, But we worked with Paul and we worked with Tina. And we left that church and through the years, they've continued to grow and continue to change. They've actually got involved in some pretty significant leadership roles at their church and roles in... uh, community uh, religious organizations there in St. Louis. It's been, it's been phenomenal to watch their growth. But, you know, so Paul decided early this summer to basically take what we did together and do it with a fellow that he knows. A fellow that goes to his church, a fellow that lives on his street, but a fellow that still had not closed the deal. And just a couple weeks ago, I find out that this guy prayed and knows that he has eternal life. 
And then I find out this guy who lives on Henry Street in St. Louis has the last name Christoph. Jeff Christoph's dad. Fellow that attended our church here for years, Jeff Christoph's dad comes to Christ through the guy who we had the opportunity to disciple 30 years ago. Sometimes you don't see the fruit immediately. Sometimes, so this morning, as you're looking at your fruit and you're kind of going, fruit, fruit, I don't know. Some, you're both looking at it in different ways. Some of you are looking at just kind of uh, you know, junk that's coming out of your heart and you're going, yeah, this isn't of God. And some of you are looking at kind of a, a barren season and wondering, am I not in God? To which we have to know that God knows what God's doing and he makes all, beautiful, all things beautiful in his time and sometimes his time is a pain in the neck. But it is his time. Go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So we'll be quiet for a minute thinking about that fruitfulness. And then Shelley will sing and we'll head to communion. beautiful expression of what we've talked about today. And we, we try to figure out our problems. How are we going to fix it? All we need is a name. All we need is a name. All you need is to believe that name. That name can overcome anything, anything in your life. But do you believe that or is it just, is it just a theological theory for you? Oh, Jesus, nice guy, 2,000 years ago, get it. Or do you believe that he is here now with you, walking with you through your life, wanting to make a difference in your life? So if you would, head to the river at noon, okay? You're like, ah, oh, but I'll miss the game. Game's tomorrow night. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'll miss my favorite team. Do you really want to do that to your favorite team? Do you really want to whammy your favorite team by saying, I'm going to skip out on a baptism? You don't want to do that. Noon. Here's the other thing, though. Between last week and this week, some of you are finally saying, you know what? I am ready. I get it. I have been living all here, and I'm ready to live here. For one, we'd love to talk to you about that if you need that help. And we're here, okay? The other is, you may be ready to say, it's time for me to everybody, let everybody know I'm a Christ follower. Next Sunday after church, we're going to have the pool set up right out here right after church. You can get baptized, all right? Don't even have to drive to the river. Don't have to worry about the current. Don't have to worry about anything, all right? Right here. Already got someone doing it? You could join them. Let us know at the welcome desk. We'll send out an email too to let you do that. Either way, let people know you're a follower of him. Declare it. Enjoy your week. See you at noon.